All right, well, we just wrapped up a, uh, call it a series, if you will, but where we started at the beginning of the year here talking about Restoration Fellowship's vision and mission and core values. And we just wrapped that up last week with our final core value of a biblical foundation. And as we prayed about it as an as a elder team um, and asked the Lord, Lord, what do you have for us? What do you want us to talk about? What do we want to bring messages on in 2024? A couple of things were highlighted to us. We're going to be doing a series here shortly on just simple, um, call it Christian disciplines that really fuel a life in God. Um, and we're going to do uh, probably five or six messages on that. And then we're going to go after demystifying and making available and building people up specifically in their understanding and in their gifts of the prophetic healing and deliverance. We really feel like this is something the Lord's highlighted to us as a church family, um, that we would bring teaching on this, encouragement in this, um, just safety and confidence in these things biblically and go after them in 2024. In the midst of that, we have a couple of slots, if you will, of messaging where we're making room for people on our messaging team to bring personal messages, just something the Lord laid on their heart. And for me, today is one of those days. I've had this on my heart for some time, and I want to address today how do we process when leaders fall, and how do we glean, how do we grow, how do we look at these scenarios of fallen leaders and say, not at Restoration Fellowship, Lord, right? So that's the heart today, and I just want to say that I understand that there for some of you might be a sting in this message, that there might be I mean, for many of us, we probably, you know, really appreciated the International House of Prayer, Mike Bickle, some of his teachings. I'm going to address him, but I'm going to address others like Ravi Zacharias, Mark Driscoll, um, Carl Lentz, these kind of leaders and others just in the the general church arena, fallen leaders permeate the smaller local churches and you might have been someone that received some form of abuse of power, manipulation, control, and you've got a sting in your heart. And for others of you, you're actually on a ministry front, or you're part of a leadership team, or you're here at Restoration saying, I, I want to look and examine at my own leadership and the leadership around me with a sober, uh, like a sober heart today and say, is there these tendencies for me or for the leadership team that I'm part of or for restoration? I want to start with 1 Timothy 5, 19 and 20. It says this, Do not accept an accusation against an elder, except on the basis of two or three witnesses. We could just insert that word elder there for our cultural context in the church Leaders, pastors, people that are in leadership, do not accept an accusation against them except on the basis of two or three witnesses, 
And the idea is when you do, and if it's credible, you address that person. And if that person continues willfully in sin, it says this, those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest will be fearful of sinning. That's what the New American Standard says, New King James says, so the rest might fear. But the idea is that they're going to, there's going to be a grip of a sobriety on their own hearts. So in other words, when the Lord exposes, like what just happened, and it is happening right now at IHOP, when that's happening, our posture is not to just kind of gawk at what's happening, but rather that we would go, may it not be here, may it not be me. What, how did this happen? And analyzing that and saying, yeah, let's, let's correct course. And so that's my heart today. I don't want to just, I'm going to tell some stories, but this isn't not for just drama of exposing sin in the church. This is really of just saying, how do we process this? And how do we move forward in this? How do we set up parameters and be sober-minded so that it never happens here? And I hope that all churches are doing this. Because, gang, if you don't think the Lord is exposing leadership in the church, you need to check the last five years of history. It's been crazy how much exposure has happened just in the last ten years um, of, of various even entire denominations and stuff like this of leaders who were allowed to continue to lead even though there was gross sin in their lives. How does that happen? Why does it happen? So here's, my, here's how this came about. The phone call. My notes here, Roman numeral one, letter A. I was up guiding archery season in the mountains, and I got a text message, hey, can you find some reception and call me? From a friend of mine named Wes Martin, a guy that I've, I've known for a long, long time. We were at the International House of Prayer together. We've been dear friends for years and years. He called me and he said, hey, can you pray for me? Can you just kind of just, I don't have a lot of de- details for you, but could you please pray for me? He goes, I'm wading through some accusations against Mike Bickle, the leader of IHOP, and he goes, I am struggling with this, and I think we're going to have to expose this, and, uh, and I don't, I'm just, the weight of it is, is hard, and I'm, I'm just asking for help, so I, I began to pray for him. And then, of course, in November, it came out that Mike Bickle had a history of prophetic manipulation, of abuse of women, of sexual abuse. Unbelievable. I remember just thinking about just going, no possible way. There's no way. I remember when uh, my wife, when we got married, she had every single one of her greatest heroes, Robbie Zachariah. She had every one of his books. And, and it was just like she would quote him and love us, just reading, the, you know, and, and when that scandal of his life came out, that he had been purposely purchasing these massage parlors so he could go in there and, and you know, fill in the blank, all sorts of darkness. We were just in shock. How could this internationally man of God... I mean, I've heard some of his books and different things that he taught, and just going, there's no way. But you couldn't deny all the witnesses that came forward and said, yeah, not only is this true, but it's been true for a long time. 
Been true the whole time, not the whole time, but for years as he's writing these books that we love and as he's bringing these messages that are true, powerful. How could this be? Painful still to watch a leader fall like a hero, somebody we aspire to. We watch them fall and get exposed and it's painful. More painful is how the church gang generally tries to do damage control and cover it up and flounder. And it's just like we lose faith in the whole thing. It's the leaders, like, oh, not the leader. And then, oh, these, the, the structure itself is trying to do damage control and save itself. And they're not telling the truth and they're hiding things. And, and we just begin to just look at the church leadership and lose faith. This is so painful. Letter B, the truth is that the exposure and fallout that Mike Bickle and IHOPKC is currently experiencing, still happening. There's still exposure coming. There's still fallout happening. It's part of a growing list that over the past few years, primary leaders and ministries within the body of Christ whose gross sin and scandal has been exposed. I'm not talking about a leader that messes up one day, has a bad weekend. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about lifestyles of gross sin. How do you process this? Let's look at a few here. Mega ministry front. Mars Hill Church. I remember being in awe of Mars Hill Church. I was a young man, just got saved, and there was this fiery preacher named Mark Driscoll, and his church was just exploding with young adults, young people coming into church, unprecedented. It was the fastest growing church in American history, Mars Hill. They had a podcast, they had all this stuff, and it was just like, what is happening Well, then you find out that Mark personally lived a lifestyle where he controlled the whole church through fear and bullying. Crass comments, no godliness behind closed doors kind of a thing. And you're going, how could this be? It was so bad that people began to leave and walk out of the church. And so the leaders would say, well, you know, Johnny's just been called to somewhere else. Rather than saying, no, he'd been abused by this leader. Well, they just couldn't call him out on it. How could you? This massive church is growing and and everything he seems to put his hand to is exploding and 70,000 podcasts, I don't even know, but just like, how? if we actually say this and ask him to step down, it's the demise of everything we believe in. There's that sort of thing. You keep going, Bill Hybels, Willow Creek, the father of, call it, the seeker-sensitive model, which has brought in millions of believers into the church through this model of how do, we, how do we do church in such a way that people can meet Jesus simply. Carl Lentz, Hillsong. You guys ever heard of Hillsong? Just a few of us, right? Hillsong. Brian Houston, Hillsong's founder. Ravi Zacharias, I brought up. Jeremy Foster, Hope City Church. Kirby John Caldwell, another one. James McDonald, I don't have on this uh, list. Have you guys ever heard of Walk in the Word with James McDonald? I mean, I remember listening to that as a kid, teenager, in my 20s. Both him and Kirby John used bullying and manipulation and secrecy to embezzle hundreds of thousands of dollars. Cover it up when it exposed how do you... How do you do this? 
Common church front. All right, so that's the mega, it's just the mega church problem, isn't it? It's just these mega churches. That's the problem. Well, let's look at the common church front. Recent reports, we're talking about the last four years. Southern Baptist churches, roughly, they did a, a little you know, investigation into some accusation claims. They found 380 clergy, lay leaders, and volunteers had faced allegations of sexual misconduct, leaving behind over 700 victims since 1998. What made it worse was that the extent of the misconduct, the Southern Baptist Convention leaders, many of them knew about it, but chose to hide it and just move these leaders to another church. Or what it would mean for the collapse of what, what was being built. In May of 2003, um, the Eternal General of, I believe, Illinois, said at a news conference that they had just investigated 451 Catholic clergy in that region that had abused 1,997 children in Illinois between 1950 and 2019, of which all of them were still leading. Gang, there's a problem, right? Unfortunately, there's been so much exposure of very deep-seated issues in in, uh, sin and ungodliness in main church leaders the last couple of years that many in the church have lost trust in the sincerity of leadership altogether. In other words, we, we hear this so much, we begin to view leaders as, okay, what's really going on? Right? I know who they are, but I bet there's some nasty secret there. They're, you know, they're, I get it. Like, if this was what we kept seeing is exposure, our, our vision's going to shift, and we're beginning to look at leaders as if, hey, they're, they're all this way. We've lost trust in leadership altogether. I would say this is a very common sentiment in the church. We don't trust our leadership. Why? Because gang... We've seen this over and over. And I think that we're actually moving to a place where we would look at major church leaders and say, unthinkable that they could fall. They seem so well put together. They seem so, you know what I mean? If I think about that person, I just can't think that they could have some lifestyle of dark sin. We've actually moved to, I bet they do have. We've kind of shifted to like unthinkable to that wouldn't surprise me at all. What does this mean? Let's go ahead and flip the page. Roman numeral two, shock, grief, disillusionment. Why is this so damaging? Why does this so rock us to the core? Here's why. The fall of a leader is incredibly hard for anyone who held that leader in high regard. It's difficult to walk through an experience without it disrupting or testing our own faith immensely. So here's what, here's what the real key is. Church leaders, by definition, help shape and encourage our own faith. And when their faithlessness is exposed, it caused what was formed in us to be questioned. That's why it hurts so much. So these leaders, by definition, help shape our faith, help shape our values, help, help shape who we are in our relationship. But that's their job. That's what they, the Lord has gifted them for that. They are building up your faith. That's what church leaders do. 
And when they're exposed for having areas that 100% contradict what they taught you, you question what's been formed in you. And gang, thousands leave the faith over this. That's, it's so damaging. It's so important to address. So the natural progression of our reasoning concerning a fallen leader is to question what parts of their words and actions were genuine. Or was it all a sham? What, what parts are real? What parts of the Lord? What parts are wicked? We can't sort it out and it's just confusing and endless. It leaves us disillusioned and, and just on shaky ground, unable to move forward. For some, the pain and confusion is so vast and untenable that they end up walking away from their faith completely. With the multitude and severity of fallen leaders that we're currently seeing, I believe it's imperative for us to take a close examination of why and how this is happening. How could this be happening? Why does it happen? And I believe we should respond in a proactive way here at Restoration to protect both our leaders and those that they lead. That's my heart this morning. Does that make sense, guys? All right, so let's look at lens and impl- or lessons and implications. So if we're, looking at, if we're walking out this 1 Timothy passage where he says, there's been exposure of a leader, so now let the rest of you begin to look with sobriety to your own hearts and to your own leadership spheres and to your own groups that you're part of. In light of all this current exposure, corruption, abuse, control, manipulation, I believe we must take a prudent look at common denominators that led to this sort of unchecked sin and leadership abuse and destruction, because here's the deal, gang. We're humans too. These leaders are not some specific category of kind of nasty people, and the rest of us are doing fine. These leaders probably, and according to all their stories, started out really sincere, started out really loving Jesus, started out in an area of weakness, began to grow, and they acted on it, and it was unchecked, and then it just grew and grew into a lifestyle, right? And, it was un- and, and that they end up in this compromised position and their whole world begins to crash and, and all that follow them begin to crash. And that's how it happens. It's not like you had this group of nasty people that decided to lead churches. What we have is sincere leaders who probably started out well, who got lost along the way, got off. How does this happen? Number one, idealism. So this isn't any kind of an order, but this is something that just we go, okay, what are the common denominators in all these stories? And let's learn from this. So number one, there's an idealism that takes place. And this is what it looks like. There's a long-standing historical conviction within the church that leaders are in general more godly or sanctified than lay people especially if they have a powerful or very impactful ministry. Now, I could preach this, and all of you would say, that's heresy, that leaders are more godly, that leaders are more sanctified. We're all, you know, we have all been given the righteousness of Jesus. We're all being sanctified. Leaders have weaknesses. But the truth is, we do generally view leaders as a little bit more godly than us, a little bit more put together, as a little bit stronger. And because of that, it's so very difficult to see them in the right light, to see them as people that need accountability, because we figure they're above it. 
Now I need it, but surely he doesn't. That sort of thing. Or she doesn't. Why? Because in the midst of leadership, they just come off so godly. There's a general assumption and trust that they're living godly lives. So we just trust that. Well, they're in leadership of a church, for goodness sake. So they're surely leading good lives. That's an assumption that we all make, we all have. All of you probably think that I study the Bible more than you do. Where does that come from? But am I right? Right? Of course he does, because he's the leader. We have this idea. And it's just, it's ingrained in us. So this issue of unjustified trust that causes us to be less concerned with accountability in general, and when issues of sin arise, we're just, we're surprised by it, thinking, what? But if issues of sin arise in the guy that's, this empty section over here that no one's sitting in, the fake guy, when issues of sin arise in that guy's life, we're all like, well, of course. He's just a human like the rest of us. Right? (laughs) But I believe Scripture says it's actually the opposite. Scripture says this, that if there's a leader among you, you actually hold that leader to a higher standard and protect this idea that they don't need accountability. You actually go the other way and say, because they're in leadership, we're going to scrutinize their life even more. Why? Because of what I just said. If the leader falls, the fallout is crazy. The leaders are held to a higher standard of character. Let's look at this in, first, or in Titus, and we'll look at 1 Timothy at the end, but Titus 1, 5 through 10, we'll just look at this quick. Titus 1, 5, so Paul leaves Titus in Crete so that Titus can go around to all the churches and analyze with the church there, analyze who's a good leader. How do we find out who a good leader is? Who should we give the microphone to? Find a man who's beyond reproach. The husband of one wife, having children who believe not accused of indecent behavior or rebellion. For the overseer, let's just enter leader there, must be beyond reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not overindulging in wine, not a bully, nor greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, self-controlled, righteous, holy, disciplined, holding firm to the faithful word, which is in accordance to the teaching, so that he be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict it. Now look at this, verse 10. For there are many rebellious people in leadership is the idea. Empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the Jewish faith. Right? Now he's talking about why should you be so careful? Because there are many who are leaders who don't, they're actually in their character before the Lord. They're not that formed. Why do we give them the mic? Because they're just so good at it. Right? We choose kind of gifting or ministry anointing over character, right? Like, what if you had the guy that's just, and maybe this is me for you, and, and I'll, I'll try to work on it, but what if you had the guy that you just fall asleep every time they talk? They're just, un, this, this dude doesn't do anything for me. I'm unmoved, I'm not stirred up, but this guy has the most godly character, right? 
versus this guy who's just a fireball. And every time they talk, it's like, yeah, I'm just getting stirred up, and they're just powerful, and they lay their hands on people, they get healed, but they're a mess behind closed doors. But you know it. You know their marriage is shaky. You know they have fits of anger and rage. You've seen it. But you're almost going, yeah, but I'd kind of like to have them on the mic versus this guy. That's where we go. That's how it happens. So we, we look at this idealism of their character and we don't call them out or we look or we just, we just go for leaders that seemingly are more anointed and we don't care that much about character. And I say we, I'm just saying in the church in general. Let's go ahead and flip the page. Idealism is one thing we've got to just root out if we have that in us. That like this guy's just godly, so we're going to trust him. Nope, if they're in leadership, you should step up accountability. Number two, unbalanced power. The man of God culture, I call it. And every story, so as I've looked into these stories and researched them, of these fallen leaders, fallen leaders exposed for an abuse of some kind, they had an unbalanced level of papal or church authority. They are the highest authority and power in the church, and no one questions their hierarchical spiritual position. This is ingrained in us. Why? Because for generations, this is how the church was run. You guys might not like this or however you feel about the Catholic Church, but the truth is the Catholic Church model was the way it was for hundreds of years. There was a man, the man of God, the Moses, the priest. He was the chief guy, the highest spiritual authority. Let's look at this uh, quote here, papal supremacy. So this is straight off of the, uh, the doctrine, the, the Catholic Um, doctrine about what what the level of the priest or pope is right here. Papal supremacy is the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church that the pope, by reason of his office, so he's the pastor. Let's just put it in, in that term. He's the leader. By reason of that office, that that person has full, supreme, and universal power over the whole church, a power which he can always exercise unhindered. Now, I'm not saying that, that the Mars Hill crew viewed Mark Driscoll that way, but what they did do is place him in a place of authority where that was true. Does that make sense? So he was whatever that primary visionary, whether it be Mike Bickle, Mark Driscoll, some of these other church leaders, however they kind of walked out their leadership, they were the chief. And they made the shots of what the church was going to do that day and how they were going to respond and what their core values were going to be. And that went unquestioned. Why? Because he was the man of God. You guys ever heard this? Ever thought it in your own, like, we grew up in this. Here's a quote. You guys ever heard this quote? Power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. How many of you guys ever heard that quote? It's very popular in politics. Like we, we want to not make sure we give a politician too much power because power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. All right? That was actually from a leader of a region to a Christian leader saying, hey, check yourself. You're getting too powerful. 
It was from a guy named Lord Action. And if your name is Lord Action, you're just awesome. Right? You just got to listen to this guy. But it was a guy named Lord Action to a bishop and Bishop Creighton regarding church leaders in 1887. What was happening was the Reformation had happened and we were watching this, call it Protestant movement, but they were copying the papal authority of the Catholic movement. Does that make sense? Well, they didn't have another model, so it was the guy, right? That for so long, it was the guy, the priest, the vicar, the, the pastor. And so when the Reformation happened, they're looking at how to walk this out. They walked out their model in the exact same way, and Lord Action called Bishop Creighton and said, don't do it. Don't have a one-man show. Don't do it. That power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Interesting, right? Number one, in most cases where leaders are exposed, the individuals who knew them best recognized the signs way before it got exposed. Went and looked at it and said, hey, he's kind of being a bully. Hey, he just kind of manipulated that person, put fear in him, controlled him. Hey, he just, you know, whatever, just overrode everybody and said, we're doing this. The common feedback is that they saw those long before it actually became enough of a problem and enough damage that they had to expose the guy publicly. The common feedback from these individuals is that they were not able to see it objectively because of the idealism that the leaders had this internal holiness or had this internal anointing to lead. The man of God syndrome, we'll call it. The anointed one. That's the leader. And that is highly accepted in the church and gang. It's an error. I'm not the anointed one up here because I'm talking today. Because I'm on the elder team or I've been in charge of things. There is no such thing. There is no anointed one to lead the church. That's not a biblical idea. We all have giftings according to the grace given to us that we are to use unilaterally in the body of Christ. Every time we see a, a decision made in the church all throughout the book of Acts and in the epistles, it's elders, plural, or apostles, plural. Did you know that? So we went to the elders with this, or we went to the apostles with this, and they talked. It was never once, well, we needed to make a call, so we went to the apostle, or we went to the elder. Never, not in Scripture. And I think because of that, we, just, we set up an environment where this could happen. Lack of accountability. In every case where we see fallen leaders, there's a massive lack of accountability in that leader's life. How does someone steal millions of dollars from the church? How does that happen? How does someone get behind closed doors with young girls over and over and over and it's never get called out? How does that happen? Because there's a lack of accountability. That's how it happens. No one's checking into it. And if they do check in and see what this, no one says anything. Sometimes accountability never happens because there's a false idea of a culture of honor. The church has been convinced that it's ungodly or wicked to call out errors in the weaknesses of a leader. And I will say this, during my time at IHOP when I was there, this was true. They had created a culture, they had created a a teaching, and we all bought into it. We're all going for godliness, but they were like, hey, don't ever call out a leader for weakness. That's dishonoring. 
And I remember being in small groups and being like, you know, I'm frustrated with my teacher because this was the curriculum we we're supposed to follow, and they're way over here. And, and I just feel like it's wrong. And I was corrected in that moment by my life group leader, and he was like, hey, we don't do that. That's, we don't slander our leaders. I was like, oh. And I felt like, no, I want to be godly. I, I won't do that. I'm sorry. But I had a, that's wrong, gang. That's actually wrong. That's a, a way that you can keep accountability from happening, not allow it to happen. And we do it, I think, in this godly, well, we're trying to be godly. We don't want to throw anybody under the bus. We don't want to accuse the Lord's anointed kind of a thing. We don't touch the Lord's anointed. Have you ever heard that? I grew up, I was in a church, and, and the pastor was doing some things, and somebody came to me and said this, and I said it to them. I just grew up in that. I said, we don't, we don't, that's the Lord's anointed. We don't touch them. We don't bring that sort of slander and that sort of thing. Where does that come from? Am I the only one who's ever heard that? Okay, good. I'm glad you guys are all saying, okay, let's talk about this, because this is a problem. Would you say it's a problem? 1 Samuel 26, here's where it comes from. David was going to kill Saul. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid, his men are like, go kill him, go kill him. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing that he is the anointed of the Lord. 1 Samuel 24.6. So in order to carry this over to our context today, we would say that to not call out Justin for a weakness is to say that Justin has been anointed the king of Pagosa Springs. Right? That's, that's the context. He is the king of Jerusalem. And, and, and what David is saying is, he's saying, hey, God has raised up this king and God will tear him down. But he's, he's been anointed by the Lord to be the king for that time. And what we've done in the church is we've taken that way out of context and said any leader is the Lord's anointed and we better not raise our hand up against them. Totally out of context, totally wrong interpretation, yucky, yucky, yucky. All right? There is no, again, we cannot find a single passage in the New Testament as far as how the church is formed and runs through the gifts of the Spirit and through elders and deacons and find any place where we have room to take that example of God anointing a king over Israel and saying, don't touch him. Does that make sense? There's no place for that because there's no place where we find a king of the church besides Jesus. That makes sense. All right. So just if someone says that, say, nonsense, you're out of context. Don't touch the Lord anointed. Nonsense. Psalm 105, here's the other place that it's found. Psalm 105. And these are the only two places in Scripture, by the way, that we'd see this don't touch the Lord's anointed thing. Speaking of the entire nation of Israel, Psalm 105, verse 13 They went from one nation to another, from one kingdom to another, and he permitted no one to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sake, saying, do not touch my anointed ones, and do not my prophets no harm. This is speaking of the entire nation of Israel, and saying, when people came to kill them, God stopped them. That's what it means. So again, out of context, right? If we're talking about a leader that needs called out, this leader is not the personification of all the people of Israel being protected by God. All right? So both of these examples, the only place we find it, 
We just need to eliminate this kind of language from our sphere, this don't touch the Lord's anointed thing that has actually caused a lack of accountability in the church for hundreds of years. It's just yucky. Number two, a misapplication of Matthew 18. So Matthew 18 says this, if you've got an issue with a brother, they've wronged you, you go to that person in private, behind closed doors, and you address the issue. Now what we've seen, how this has been weaponized in the church, is that actually means that no accountability can happen, no one can say anything, unless they go right to the leader first who has hurt them and talk to that leader. Okay? Now this is saying what, how this has been weaponized and used wrongly is... And this happened, and it's so shameful this happened, but it, it happened, so let's talk about it. When these women were coming out, this was both in Bill Hybels and Willow Creek and recently at IHOP, when these women came forward and said, behind closed doors, they abused me. The church leaders said, you need to do Matthew 18 before you bring that accusation. You need to go back behind closed doors with this person that abused you and bring your problem to them before we'll even field it as a complaint. Because that's what Matthew 18 says. You know how sick that is? Terrible. Yeah, go back to the guy that abused you behind closed doors and work it out. Then we'll listen to your story. Total misapplication of Matthew 18. Lack of transparency. This is a big one. We just don't talk about it. We just be quiet. We don't... If there's an issue in our midst, we suppress, we only talk about the good things, we just don't bring it up. Another key ingredient to how this happened. How did this happen over and over? In every single story of fallen leaders, their sinful actions were ongoing for years before they were called out publicly in the church, and unfortunately in most cases, they were exposed by outside sources. Bill Hybels was exposed by the Chicago Tribune, of all things. Right? Not by the own people in his own church that saw it. 1 Timothy 5, 19. We just talked about it. As the church is operating, they see a leader. There's an issue of sin in that leader's life. That You guys, how this works is, you're supposed to go to additional leadership and say, Hey, Justin did this to me. He did it to me, too. That should happen. And then that leadership team should come straight to me and say, buddy, we're calling you out on this. And if this is true, we're going to have to put some disciplinary actions in, and we're going to tell the church if you persist in it. Boom. And if that, I believe if that actually happened in Bill Heibel's life 10 years before it all came out, it would have stopped it. Probably. But it never happened. Let's go ahead and look at the last page, and I'll wrap this up. Another case where this became so hard to do and and why this was allowed to continue is because that individual was the primary visionary. This is super popular in the church today. There is a primary visionary, and this person kind of is that, again, they look at him as the anointed one, the captain, the that sort of thing, right? These testimonies of individuals involved in navigating calling out of leaders who were walking in sin was that they were crippled in doing so because what seemed right to expose this leader seemed wrong 
for how the ministry would fall. In other words, we can't call out James McDonald for embezzling hundreds of thousands of dollars and bullying people. Why? Because we get a thousand letters a week of people getting saved through his ministry. You see that struggle there? That these, I mean, I feel bad for leaders in that. This, how could we call out this guy when so much good fruit is happening? Our ministries are growing, thriving. How could we do it? So they were crippled in doing what was right because of this is the primary visionary. If he goes down, the whole thing goes down. We're all attached to it. Crippled. They just couldn't move forward, paralyzed by it. In general, there's a pass given to character disqualifications because of tremendous ministry fruit that they're seeing as a result of that leader's work. And gang, this one is a problem. And we all see it. We've all probably... uh, experienced it one way or another, is that we see ministry fruit, but there's a character issue. There's a, this person's just mean-spirited. Like, they don't, they come in angry, and they're, you know, whatever, they're, they're controlling. This person has, you know, has manipulated me. This person has only surrounded themselves with people that they like who would never call them out. This is a problem. But man, they're so anointed. So God's probably okay with it. He keeps healing people. He keeps selling 10,000 books a week. That must be the Lord's validation that this guy's okay. It's all baloney. He's not okay. He needs to be called out. Why? Because character is more important than gifting. Because character is more important than gifting. Why? Because gifting is given to people with no character. Praise God for that. Gang, when you got saved, how, how great was your character in the Lord? Like Jesus level? But guess what? That very moment, you got a spiritual gift. And sometimes a powerful one. Gifts are given in grace, it says. Character is over time. Through this process called sanctification, where the Lord is working on our hearts and building up Christ-likeness in us. It's not instantaneous, although we wish it was. It's a lifestyle. And as we submit to that, and as the Lord forms character in us, then we can be entrusted for leadership and platform. But it's not about gifting. We don't look at giftings and say, yeah, give them the mic, because everybody gets healed. That's actually terrifying. We say, don't give them the mic yet. Paul, he says to, to, Tim, or to Titus, and he says, don't do it fast. Don't do it fast. I have to leave you in this city that you would spend years there finding out who could be an elder based on character. Timothy, don't lay your hands on anybody in haste. Examine their lives. Talk to everybody. That's not what we do. They say, that was anointed. Get that guy over here. Give me an come on, don't say amen, but give me a nod, like this is what we do. And I believe this is why it has turned out so terribly. I mean, one of the reasons. Ministry gifts do not validate leadership, period. Leadership is not validated by gifting, period. Why? Because gifts are given by grace, not merit, and leadership is given by merit, not grace. We got a few things backwards. 
and just kind of what seems normal for us. I'm going to have Kayla come on up. I was talking to, to uh, Chris about how do you, what's the ministry time look like? So I have a few thoughts on ministry time, and Chris, once you come up. We want to pray for anybody and everybody. If you have anything going on, if this message is not, if you've got something going on in your family, you've got sickness in your body, you've got something else like, hey, that great message has nothing to do with what's going on with me right now. I need help. I want prayer, encouragement. We want to encourage you to come up. Prayer ministry teams can come up. But I, there was two things that were kind of highlighted to me. Number one, maybe you're a leader. Maybe not even here. Maybe you're in a leadership sphere and you're actually identifying with some of this stuff. Like, I actually have that mindset. And I, I need freedom in my heart. I, I need accountability in my life. I, I need this. I don't want to be that story. Or you've been hurt by this. 